Hey everybody, this is just a quick message to express our gratitude for your listenership and to also introduce you to the concept of listener support for the podcast. Listener support is exactly what it sounds like. It's the ability for Adventure Audio Podcast listeners to support the podcast monetarily. We've set that up at anchor.fm forward slash adventure audio. There's a little button there that says support. And if you click on that, it'll just take a couple of moments to complete the process. If you're unable to do that at this time, that's completely fine. The other ways that you can support the podcast are by listening, by telling friends about the show. You can subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to or also leave us a great rating. We appreciate all of that stuff. If you're able to contribute some monetary support to the podcast, which allows us to grow both the audience and the quality of the show as we strive to make the podcast better and better for you all the time, again, you can do that at anchor.fm forward slash adventure audio. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of the Adventure Audio podcast featuring Anthony Walsh. Anthony is an Irish professional cyclist who also runs A1 Coaching, and you can follow him on uh, his social media channels at A1 Coaching, and he's also the host of the Roadman podcast, which is really excellent, and also the host of his own YouTube channel. Anthony has um, a great story. He really shifted his focus from professional cycling into something that was uh, more fulfilling and meaningful for him and um, created more of a focus on living a more well-rounded and balanced life, which is what he tries to pursue with his clients and his coaching business as well. Uh, We just had an awesome conversation about all kinds of things that goes in a bunch of different directions. We talk about obviously cycling, pro cycling. We talk about biohacking and just a whole bunch of stuff and uh, and Anthony's journey, which is excellent. So we hope that you really enjoy it. And uh, if you enjoyed this chat, please give uh, Anthony's uh, social media and his podcast and his YouTube channel a quick look. And uh, thanks so much. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Yeah, Anthony, welcome to our little podcast, Pete's in Calgary. I'm here in Missoula, Montana. Cool, looking forward to it, guys. Beautiful Ireland in Dublin. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And, um, you know, Anthony and I spoke last week. I was on his podcast. And uh, it was awesome to get to get to know you a bit. And uh, since then, I've done some digging and, and you've had a quite a um, quite an amazing life, I would say. And I just watched that video of you. I think on your new uh, on your coaching website. I think you did it recently, and um, yeah, it was pretty neat. You opened up quite a bit and talked about some struggles you went through, and um, yeah, good, good on you, Anthony. Yeah, it's been a it's been sort of a wild ride, and. I guess you go down a road and you never, well, at least I didn't have the destination that I'm at now in mind when I started off. I went through uh, college, went through law school, and I was thinking I'll be, you know, a lawyer. And I was coming from sort of a working to middle class background, and all my friends in law school were all coming from very upper class backgrounds, as you can imagine, with law school. But I was starting to get a couple of good results on the bike at an amateur level here, and like a pro am race. Tyler, you know the the Ross. It's like a two point two. It's kind of a mixing pot of pros and amateurs, and a lot of good riders. I got their break there, like Tony Martin and stuff. And uh, I got a couple of good results in that. And a French team offered me a contract for the following year when I should have been going starting working in law. So I was like, a paid holiday for the year. No way I can turn this down. But yeah, as you probably know, Tyler, it's 
not much of a paid holiday working in France. I got 50 euro a week riding the bike. Oh, and as a kid who'd never lived out of home before, because I went to university in Dublin, so I lived at my parents' ultra university, 50 euro a week is not enough to buy food, especially when you're buying steaks on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you get to like Saturday, Sunday, and you're like, oh shit, I'm on ketchup and rice here. And then yeah, and you're burning 4,000 calories a day on your bike too, right? Yeah, like I remember doing races like 240, 250 kilometers, like kind of Roubaix-style races through fields and stuff and coming home. And like we literally searched the house, me and one of my teammates one day and found a euro between us and we split a McDonald's burger after like a 200-plus kilometer race. Oh, man. Uh, so what, so where, what part of France did you live in? I lived in a town called uh, Pons. It's close to Cognac. So it well, it was an amazing experience. Like my... Before I went over, I suppose the French stereotype I would add, I'm not sure if you guys have it in the States, like they're very unfriendly. Uh, it's going to be very difficult, but man, it couldn't have been further from the truth. I went there and like there was people calling to the door saying, hey, can I come in for a cup of tea? Like I donated the toaster to the apartments that you're using. Guys coming along, coffee machines, here you go. Welcome to the town. Amazing, amazing people, and I haven't been back there since 2012 when I left. So I'd love to go back sometime. Oh, wow. Yeah, beautiful country, amazing people, and uh, yeah, spectacular scenery. I mean, it's it's not a massive country, but there's so much there's so much uh, just a big difference in the lay of the land. You know, jump in the car for one hour, it can be completely different. But you know it's wild as well because now, like any of your listeners listening to this that are, I guess, under the age twenty five, won't remember. Remember going training in a place that you weren't familiar with. You had to bring a map. Like there was no, there's no iPhone. Yeah, yeah. So Anthony, what happened after your year in France? Uh, I went out. I got a contract. Uh, Met a girl, uh, went to Canada. I, there was a jet fuel team out there. It was continental, and I won a couple of races locally, and they asked me where to go and ride with them for the rest of the summer. And the following year, I got a contract. It was my first properly paid contract, but still like less than 15000 like uh, with a U.S. team. And that was at least able to pay the bills, but at this point, law school loans were kicking back in as well. So I was like, oh, I need to create a income while I'm on the road as well. And that was kind of the start of my accidental entrepreneur journey. I didn't want to quit cycling, but I obviously I didn't have the talent that Tyler had to make it to world tour level. So I was starting to see the, the, the limit of my potential. I was 28 then, so I started late. I was like, I'm not going to make world tour here had a couple of bad crashes so i was kind of playing the risk to reward ratio in my head going like i'm busting a lot of bones here i had especially bad one in detroit and bust up like clavicle broke shoulder punctured lung um and I, it's a funny story because i was on the ground bust up and the ambulance driver was an irish guy and he came along he's like well what do you want me to do and i was like well like i'm pretty bust up here like uh <laughs> like go to the hospital i guess <laughs> like and he's like do you have health insurance i was like oh, i i do have health insurance but then my law background is kind of kicking back in going you know terms and conditions may apply here i'm wearing a skin suit coming from a race <laughs> yeah like, yeah am, am i covered so 
long story short, he ended up getting me a bottle of whiskey from the local off license, some pretty strong painkillers, and I drove back from Detroit to Toronto that night with completely busted up and went to a hospital in Toronto and got operated on the next day. You're kidding. Were, were you, and you were living in Toronto at the time? I was living in Toronto, yeah. My girlfriend was in Toronto and I had some family scattered around there. So it felt like a safer environment and more home-like environment anyway. Wow. Well, and so did you, how did you recover from that injury? Uh, yeah, but I suppose around that time, uh, Mike Barry was coaching me. Uh, I think he was a former teammate of yours, Tyler? Oh, yeah, Mike Barry, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Mike was coaching me at the time, and I remember just chatting to Mike and me like, you know what, Mike, I'm done with this. And he just said, look, don't make a decision when you're bust up. He's like, that's a lazy decision to make. He's like, get back to fitness, get back to health, then make your decision. So I kind of, I trained pretty hard, got back to race weight, got back to race fitness. And yeah, I just had to chat with Mike. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to take, I had a contract offer for the same team again the following year. Uh, and the only thing that does kind of grind me a little bit, the following year, it was Estellas Oncology was the team. The following year, they rode the World Team Time Trial Championships and I didn't get to ride them. And I've never, I've ridden the World's University Games, but I've never ridden a full World's. Uh, so yeah, bit of a kick in the teeth. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. So wait, <laughs> why not? Didn't you go on to ride for a U.S. domestic team? Right? Yeah, it was a Stellas Oncology. It was the U.S. domestic oh. team I was in. Anyway, but uh, yeah, they were good guys. Like, and um, I think the project only lasted, I think, three years uh, total. But uh, the, I guess the company changed for their marketing focus. But it was a really cool Conti team when I was there. We were well funded, cool bikes, great kit. Great teammates, great management. So, yeah, it was definitely fun times there. Yeah. And then at what point did you decide to uh, – did you, did you hang up the bike for a little while and decide to focus on work? Yeah, I suppose I came home then, and the coaching company was going quite well, and I was back in Ireland, and I didn't know – I didn't know – you know, business and entrepreneur is kind of a little bit cool now almost – like, I remember growing up, like, business wasn't cool. Like, I didn't look at anyone with a suitcase and think they're cool. Like, we didn't have those sort of Gary Vanderchuk sort of business role models. Totally. Uh, so I was completely winging it. I didn't know what I was doing with business. But I had one or two buddies who were like, you know, it's risky. You need multiple streams of income. So I'd, although I had the coaching company that was doing well, I was like, I need, okay, it's risky. I need to, if I ever want to grow up here, I need to have multiple streams. So I ended up buying a coffee shop uh, and turned into kind of a cycling themed coffee shop. Uh, I ended up building an event pre-registration platform because my time racing in the US, I was like, it was all event pre-reg. And I was like, you know, there's no event pre-reg in Europe. It's got to come here. So I built one of them. Uh, started a social media marketing agency and I was just spinning all these plates and I almost felt like you know I had to keep spinning one until it was a bit of momentum and then I'd run to the next one but all this time what I just noticed was you know what I'm actually not getting any happier and then when I started digging on it I thought you know I'm not riding my bike and I've always been super happy when I've been riding my bike and I just started without even noticing I look back at pictures of myself now and I'm like, dude, was I actually that, like, my racing weight in France, I guess that's not even a proper weight, but I was like 68 kg, like, I'm never going to see that weight again, like, but I'm like a 79 kg now, but I think I'd gone up to like 94 kg, but I hadn't even noticed, I didn't think of myself as sort of a fat dude, and I just had this kind of crazy moment where I turned up at like a 
pretty like a pro cat one stage race here. I don't know training, completely delusional. And I was like flat out dropped inside the first 3K. And I was like, had a lot of soul searching after that. And it was a big wake up call. And at that point, I talked to a friend and he's sort of a business mentor for me and would seem like risky advice, only I trust him a lot. And he's built some huge companies and he said to me, you know what, just press pause on everything. And I took his advice. So I sold all the companies apart from the coaching company, kind of put that on life support and got rid of the office, got rid of the full time staff and uh, said, you know what, I'm going to just figure out what makes me happy and use that as the starting point. And yeah, cycling was that kind of result of that. That's an extremely brave thing to do, at, uh, especially when some things are um, going okay, right? And to prioritize your happiness instead of um, just continuing to spin the plates, as you put it, right? Yeah, I guess, Tyler, you probably find this one as well, your sort of adversity you went through. You see in those type situations, you get to see who your friends are a lot more. You know, when everything's going super well, everybody wants to be at the party. Everybody wants to be your friend. But it's when you row things back in, some people lean into it and they are a shoulder and a pillar for you and other people just back away. And you're like, oh, I thought he was a good friend, but I haven't heard from him in two years since I stopped having the coffee shop, stopped being the big sort of uh, sort of shit hot entrepreneur around town. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it can give you clarity, right, Anthony? hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think I, I listened to a, a talk. I'm not sure who it was online, but I heard this idea of the big domino and it kind of stuck with me. And the idea being that if there's one big question that if you can answer this question in your life, all your other problems kind of become irrelevant that this big domino, once it topples, it just starts a chain reaction of happiness and positivity in your life. And, uh, for me, when I tried to figure out what that was, I said I wanted to figure out how to use cycling, sorry, uh, to use cycling as a tool to achieve health, happiness, and longevity. How and, did you set about coming to that conclusion? Right, like it's a it's a awesome thought that there is such a thing as this domino, but how do you how do you identify it? You know what I have done? I'm not sure if you guys have ever done this uh, sensory deprivation tank. Have you tried that? No. It's on my bucket list. So I'm fascinated by it. Yep. Man, if I had space in my apartment, like I'd get one tomorrow. So it's, I don't know, you can't, you can't really describe as anything other than a coffin. (laughs) You sit into this coffin and you're suspended in uh, water in Epsom salts and earplugs in, it's completely dark. So you can't, you're floating. So you have no sense of the bottom of this water. It's wide enough that you can't touch your hands off the side. So you have no feeling you've, you're, vision is removed it's completely dark and you've no sound so it's complete sensory deprivation and you're literally just left with your thoughts and so i went i used sensory deprivation tank a lot and it's for me it's kind of it's meditating on steroids nearly it's a super powerful form of meditation and yeah i've done a lot of my good thinking there and i used to bring like a little uh, notebook with me and i'd sit in the coffee shop you know sometimes for 20 minutes sometimes for four hours after uh, being in the sensory deprivation tank and just a lot of jotting down what made me happy, events that made me happy, stories that made me happy. Uh, you know, I've always loved learning. I've always loved 
the idea of progress. I think that's why cycling was so exciting at the start. And you remember when you got into cycling at the very, very start and you're just like, oh, this is amazing. Like you're learning everything about it. You're fascinated. I love that kind of the initial process of learning something. I think that's why I was so fascinated by that question because it's constant dedication to lifelong learning almost because it's a journey, not a destination. That's great, Anthony. And so you, um, so the sensory deprivation, if you call it a tank, is that a tank? Yeah, it's, I guess yeah. it is. Yeah. They, I think they have two sorts. They've like a room one and they have a tank one. Uh, I like the tank. It kind of feels like you're in a cough and it's kind of cool. And then do you also do some meditation as well? Yeah, I try to meditate, uh, most days. Uh, I, I, when I got that sort of press pause, I traveled a lot and I sort of used a lot of contacts I had to, talk with athletes, business people, top achievers, didn't put a tag on what what field they achieved in. And I kind of just tried to look for commonalities among their behavior. And one of them I noticed was a lot of them used morning routines and the power of controlling the morning because we're all living in such a hectic, crazy, like you don't know if you're going to get an Instagram DM with someone just completely hating on you. Like we can't control so much of the stuff that's going on in our day, but we can control our morning. And by taking control of that and putting in a series of uh, protocols around the morning, we go a long way to controlling our happiness. So I started building meditation into my morning ritual and it's been, it's been very powerful for me. So what did you, um, what did you, how did you conclude that, 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 that was the domino? Uh, you know what? I don't really know. It's a good question. Uh, it might not be. <laughs> uh, the domino can change, I guess, right? I guess it can. Yeah. And it's like, I was only chatting earlier and it's like when I started out with a one coaching, I had a one coaching and buddies who were like venture capitalists and stuff were saying to me, look, your numbers are great on this. Like your acquisition for clients and all the metrics they use for judging success are like, this looks brilliant. You need to niche down on this. But I was like, no, I want to go and I want to build an app because I want to coach a million people. I want to build this website. I want to, and I circled and came back to A1. And, but I don't feel like I should have listened to their advice. I feel like A1 is different. Just that old quote. It's like, you never walk in the same river twice because it's never the same man and it's never the same river. And I kind of feel like that with A1, that it's, it's not the same company. I'm a completely different person now and it's a completely different company. And before I was it, the company mirrored where I was in my life back then I cared about trying to get world tour contracts. I had buddies who were maybe a few years behind me and they were all trying to get world tour contracts. So I was giving them advice and tips that I picked up and that was kind of our business model. And maybe you'd get the ambitious cat four guy who's like, wanted to know what the pros were doing and, but the business model has completely changed. And now we just try make guys happy and make guys healthy. And if success on the bike is a byproduct of that, which it often is brilliant, but it's not like the main thing we're setting out for. And yeah, it was a long way to answer your question, but <laughs> no, that's great. Like that's great. I mean, it sounds, it obviously sounds a lot more fulfilling to realign the, the goals of the coaching company. And, um, you know, if, if you have somebody who doesn't prioritize that stuff, there's probably no, no end to the places they can get just super heavy data driven training, um, that isn't focused on, on a bigger picture, but you're offering something different, which is cool. 
I, I think some of the like in, in cycling we love data like at least the you know the post us postal era like data is just so important i guess tyler what when did you guys start using the power meter um the first time i ever used a power meter was like 1994 with the u.s national team and then it was a few then i didn't really pick it up again until probably like 97 or 90 i think 98 actually it was like that for me that totally ushered in a new era in cycling and how we think about it and i tyler on my podcast last week and one of the things that struck me that you said tyler was the best piece of advice you ever got was was it from a ski coach you said like listen to your body yeah 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 cross-country ski coach yeah yeah bill peck holder in a school back in yeah it was um i always kind of reflect back on on that, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you see it a lot in uh, with your with your coaching. You get a lot of people that are all you know, so numbers driven, and you know, um, you know, their happiness is based on you know maybe maybe the scale the mo- that morning that when they weighed themselves or you know the the power that they generated on the bike training that day. Um, yeah, just a random number. And, so, uh, like, although I love the science and. Uh, I love digging into a scientific journal as much as anyone. I also think we shouldn't neglect feelings. Like I haven't dug too much into the science of Wi-Fi and what that does to the body. But I know when I'm around Wi-Fi routers, I have my phone in my hand all day with Bluetooth raging on it. I don't feel that good. And we, we shouldn't ignore that. And I think that's the sort of stuff that slowly starts to erode our happiness. And it's multiple things like that compound and it's the amount of time we're spending on social media and that constant need for endorphin release. But a lot of this, I feel like we're victims for it because you look at a company like, you know, Facebook who own Instagram as well. Some of the smartest guys in the world are working there for huge salaries and their sole goal is to keep you on their platform, to figure out how to manipulate you and trick you into staying on their platform. So we're almost, we're victims in this and it's trying to break that cycle because that's the stuff that erodes into our happiness. I think we're, we're ancestral creatures. We should be outside, whether it's on the bike or in the woods or walking or running, but like we're, we're glued to these, we're like robots. It's such a paradox though, because we, we need, you know, we're all, we all compete for attention and, but we all know that there's a consequence to participating in it too. Right. So it's it's uh it's about balance to a degree i guess yeah so how do you keep that balance anthony uh i try to think of myself on my relationship with social media as a creator rather than a consumer i try to put stuff out there but very rarely will scroll through my feed and but again that's been a journey for me because getting started out like especially being a full-time cyclist you know, after trying, you're just sitting on the bed and you're just mindlessly scrolling on your phone. And there's just been a number of things that just opened my eyes to it. I remember listening to the Netflix founder in an interview and he was talking about uh, Netflix share prices <clears throat> and my, my undergrad's economics. And so I always keep a little bit of an eye on stocks and stuff like that. But what I thought was interesting, he identified the number one threat to Netflix from a competitor. He said, it's sleep. Sleep is the number one threat to Netflix, not another company. That they want to keep you awake. And I just thought, I, I'd recently read the book by Matt Walker, Why We Sleep. 
and it's yeah. a brilliant, it's a brilliant book if you haven't read it. I I did read it after I heard him on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and it like it it scared me. The the co- the oh. uh, correlation to sleep and health. It's oh, scary, it's, isn't it? Um, summary. Yeah, very. Sorry, Todd Robertsider. Yeah, let's what's give me your uh, thirty second one minute version of the book. I'd love to hear it. If you don't sleep eight hours, your risk of like chronic degenerative diseases later in life, I, I don't have the statistic off the top of my head, but it's massively increased. Like, I, I'm thinking like, can you remember the stat? It's like maybe like 10, 20, 20 times more it, it, prevalent. Yeah, it's like it's like at least 20 fold for a cancer, dementia, depression, um, heart disease. I mean, you name it, diabetes, like. It, across the board, across the board. And and he also, this is going to go a little over 30 seconds, but one of the things that he really drove <laughs> home was that a lot of people um, talk about how they're, you know, they're an outlier, they're fine with five hours of sleep and stuff like that. And there is, there is actually a medical condition where that's true, but it affects like less than one in a thousand people. So essentially anybody who thinks that they're, they're almost definitely wrong. And, and you do need you do need eight to nine hours of sleep a night uh, for optimal health. Period. Yeah, I, I can speak from experience. Yeah, when I don't sleep well, like, yeah, I'm um, I'm not my best self the next day. That's for sure. Well, like um, since reading that book, I've people are like, "Oh, what time do you get up in the mornings?" I get up in the morning. I set my alarm for eight and a half hours after I go to bed, and that's my new get up time. If I'm out and I have a couple of beers with the guys and I don't get to bed till 1am it's getting set for eight and a half hours later because that that just scared the shit out of me that book because it's so well researched as well it's not yes. like uh you know a you know TMZ report or something yeah it really comes off as completely um undebatable I I don't know how somebody could come up with um any type of reasonable case to argue against it it just seems like a complete uh it's a, it's a landslide <laughs> It's it's definitely very convincing. So like sleep, uh, it's why we sleep. Why we sleep? Yeah, it's Matt, Matthew Walker's the author, but the Joe Rogan interview is brilliant as well. If you don't have you know a week to sit around reading the book, but sleep was one of the areas then when I was kind of coming back and trying to formulate what this new approach to you know my health, but also that I was going to coach. Sleep was one of the areas I looked at. Cold therapy is another one of the areas I really looked at. So the idea of being like just immersed in ice cold water and brilliant research behind it. You know, I won't dive too much into the nerdy science stuff, but it's like it's changing white fat cells to brown fat cells. But also for me, it's like the sensory deprivation tank. It's such a pure form of just calming the mind uh, because it's like doing a, you know, a full gas VO2 max effort or something. I've never been going up the side of a mountain full gas and thought to myself, oh, I wonder when that phone bill is due. I wonder when it sounds like going to call me. You're just so present in that moment. Right. Right. The cold water is like that as well. It's just, it's primal. You need to survive. So where do you do that? Do you jump in the Irish sea? Yeah, I live right beside the sea. So I uh, I'm actually going to jump in straight after the podcast. Uh, tides are looking pretty good so i'm gonna go down we got a lockdown going on here at the moment so i can only go two kilometers uh but i'm lucky to have like the beach uh and the park all within two kilometers so it's not a bad lockdown restricted to to within two kilometers of your home yeah oh i'm glad we haven't gotten there yet 
but yeah. who knows? I don't think you guys are going to get there, are you? Uh, well, okay, so it's a little, I think it's a little worse off in the States, depending on where in the States you are. Um, in Canada, we seem to have flattened the curve, as they say, um, and are in, in Western Canada in particular, we're in reasonable shape. Um, a lot fewer confirmed cases sort of day by day, but we're, we're definitely in the thick of it. There's been no talk of, of returning to school or anything like that this year. So, but we don't have a restriction on how far we can go, which is great. Cause like I'm going for long wanders around the city on by foot or by bike. You ride every day, run or ride every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice lifestyle. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's just, it's like my medicine. <laughs> I need to go do it. <laughs> And I'll tell you, the, the other thing that I got into around that time as well, which I tried hundreds of things and like just different practices from diary into meditate and to, you know, inversion therapy, all this weird shit. But some of the stuff I just thought was absolute cuckoo and had no effect for me, even if the science was brilliant. And I tried it, I was like, it doesn't work. But one thing I still love, I got this, uh, it's called a photo biomodulation unit. And it's by a company called Juve. Uh, they're out of San Fran. And it just blasts you with a frequency of near and far infrared light that we don't get from the sun anymore because of CO2 cloud cover. And it's a frequency of light we need. And again, you talk about the studies from Matt Walker. The studies on this are just so robust and they're so solid. And when I got that, the guy sent me out a unit to trial. And I was like, you know what, I'm getting one of these because it just... It just makes me happy. I have no other way to describe it, only it makes me happy. What what exactly does it do? It's red light, and you're standing in front of it. But, uh, you know, the the scientific papers will tell you it does everything from it. The prevalence of SADS, seasonal affective disorder, goes down with daily use of it. Uh, increase in testosterone levels uh, from daily use. Uh, it increases collagen, collagen. Uh, skin health collagen is like the the active ingredient in those fancy boutique creams uh girls put on their faces so it'll visibly make you look younger using this thing but they're really prevalent in sort of the hollywood san franny uh, beauty clinics and people are using them a lot but so and that's where they started and then i chatted to the founder because i reached out to him and i was like you know i need to talk to you about this and he was saying like almost all the PGA Tour pros are now using it, and a lot of the hockey players and footballers have started using it. So I'd imagine it's only a matter of time before we start seeing them in cycling. Wow. wow. What's the name of that again? It's Juve, J-O-O-V-V. I actually yeah. had dope control here last week because uh, I'm back riding the tandem uh, for the national team. We're trying to qualify for Tokyo, but I... I had a competition test last week and they called and they're like, what is that? And I was showing them and the, the two dope controllers were sitting around because I trained. If, if they call for, I'm not sure what the rules were like when you were doing it, Tyler, but if, if you've trained when they call, they can't test you within two hours because they don't know the viscosity of the urine or something. So they're sitting around my house for two hours and they kind of got to follow you around, but they were like playing using the duo. But what was interesting, they knew so little about it. They're like, you better list that on your, you know, substances you're taking because it's increasing your testosterone level and we don't know what it is. So you need to go and list that there. Right. So that there's at least a record of, of having had that conversation and, I guess so. I, I, although I'd actually done my master's in uh, doping in sport and, 
I have so little now that I'm in it again, I've spent so little time looking into the actual anti-doping code and stuff now that I don't know how the biological passport works. I guess they may be worried that from my first test to my second test, if I started using the GeoV unit in between them, that there'd be a huge spike in my testosterone figures. Right. I, I think that's what they would be concerned about, but I'm just speculating on it. Interesting. Have you, and have you done any, are you doing any blood tests to, to, um, to track your own uh, progress with the use of some of these techniques? Yeah, I did at the time, but I had a bump in testosterone. Uh, but I suppose the challenge is, um, unless you're just isolating one variable and testing it at a time, it's just difficult sure. to know what's, what's causing the benefit. Is it, you know, you know, because I'm reduced stress hitting the gym and, you know, taking a new multivitamin course or is the light therapy in the cold. It's just, and I just didn't, I didn't really feel like sitting around for, you know, six years testing one variable at a time. Right. Yeah. But there is cool studies out there, uh, on each of these things. Which, you like, talked quite a bit in one of your videos about, um, stress hormone and how that became a key to you sort of pulling out of a bit of a bad time like what how did you how did you zone in on that and and um how what what effect do some of these techniques techniques have on that in particular i think i heard uh podcaster ben greenfield talking about the hormone cortisol the stress hormone ben greenfield is awesome he's brilliant and it was in the show notes he'd left reference to a research article and i was a member in the same uh the same uh scientific journal set so i was able to view it and i just went reading about cortisol and then like you were talking about youtube earlier i just went down the rabbit hole on how it affects us and i think it's really interesting for anyone listening cortisol is the stress hormone and it's kind of produced in response to a stimulus and the stimulus can be positive or negative so if we train if we produce cortisol if we drink alcohol we produce cortisol so then our decision is we when we realize, yeah, cortisol is going to get produced, but we really only want to be producing it for positive stuff and minimizing the amount of negative cortisol that we're generating. So what I realized is you take something like if you're coaching an athlete now during COVID, whether they acknowledge that they're stressed or not, there's extra stress on them. They're worried about family members. They're worried about washing their hands 52 times a day. They're getting bombarded on the news by uncertainty around stock market housing jobs so that's bringing baseline cortisol levels up a lot so if you're to train at your normal pre-pandemic rate and you have x amount of cortisol attributable from training and you add that onto your new cortisol level from uh distress from covid you're just at a level that you're not really accustomed to so unless you start reducing and mitigating that in other areas, like stuff like meditation can reduce it, the cold therapy can reduce it, the light therapy can reduce it. I just think you're onto a loser if you're not trying to reduce it as well as increase it. That's great. It's good intel. Yeah. Um, so meditation helps. Cold therapy helps. Uh, what else? Can you uh, journaling I like a lot as well. I okay. just kind of. I get out of my own head. So in the morning, what I try and do is I'll have a cold shower. I can't get down to the sea all the time. I'm pretty close to it, but you know yourself, just packing towels and shorts. And it's, it's like a five minute walk from my place. But 
it, it probably translates into a 45 minute round trip by the time I'm down and back and it's just not practical every morning. So every morning I'll get a cold shower, do my light therapy, uh, meditate and journal. And they're kind of my pillars every morning. And I'll try and intermittent fast quite a lot these days, especially if I'm not doing a, especially if I'm not training until later in the evening or if I have an easier training session, like, you know, just a two hour endurance ride or something. My, my rides aren't super long because I'm on, I can't go outside, so I'm on Zwift at the moment. Yeah, you did 200K, by the way, inside the other day. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I regret it. I did, the, you know yourself, you know, it's like when you do a time trial or a hill climb and you're absolutely on your hands and knees, can't breathe, dead. And then about 10 minutes passed and you're like, you know what? I think I could have went a bit harder. For it's sure. kind of like out to 200K. Good for you, man. Wait, what did you say? Sorry, I didn't hear you. It was kind of like that with the 200k where I finished up to, oh, yeah. the, like the last hour of the 200. I was like, oh, this is just miserable. Why did I do this? Like, who am I trying to prove this to? And I was like, my wrists are killing me. My elbows are killing me. My ass is killing me. I'm just, but beyond everything, I'm just like, I'm having no fun. And then I literally finished probably 45 minutes. And I was like, you know, I reckon I could do 300. <laughs> <laughs> we have, uh, that's just brain chemistry, right? I don't know what it is. I, I guess it's just an athlete thing, is it? Maybe, maybe. It's a blessing and a curse, really. You know? But yeah, we're seeing lots of people doing amazing things indoors now. You know, Garrett Thomas just rode, what, three days in a row for 12 hours each day. I've seen that. It was crazy. South African pro just rode for like 37 straight hours. Um, people are doing that Everesting challenge. I read about three yeah, I was half tempted to try the Everson Challenge, but it looks a bit crazy. Cool stuff. Oh, the South African rider, he rode a thousand k straight. But isn't the isn't the pandemic kind of and the lockdown especially revealing a lot about people? Like you take Garant Thomas, and he rode twelve hours three days in a row for a frontline service. You take Ron Dennis, and he's tweeting pictures of you know fuck the lockdown. I'm going out in my car for a drive. I'm not sure if you guys seen that picture. It was crazy. No, no. Yeah, he tweeted it like two days ago and then within like five minutes of tweeting it, people have obviously screen captured it straight away, but within five minutes of tweeting it, his entire social media account is deleted and there's no statements off any else or anything about it. And But it's gone viral. Like you, you can't take that stuff back. It's He's in Girona where there's a total lockdown. He tweeted something like, you know, F this lockdown. I'm going for a drive. I'm not going to be a prisoner in my own house. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but that was the rough gist of it on a picture of him driving around. You know what? You just, it's, you know, it's difficult for everybody and some people have more support than others. And so I, you know, I understand when people sort of crack a little bit and like, it's, it's a tough time. And yeah, who, kn- who knows, you know, behind the scenes, you know, if you're the lesson there isn't to not crack though, it's to not crack on Twitter. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, like go for a run, go for a bike ride. Just don't tweet it. that's regrettable twitter just gets tyler how do you reckon those sort of big years in your career talking you know postal years right through to funak how do you reckon that would have panned out differently with social media and the intense sort of microscope we have on everyone now oh man i think that would have been hard (laughs) hard. yeah i'm 
I mean, I feel bad for the professional cyclists today because all the stuff they're expected to do, and you know, they got to stay on top of their social media and you know portray a certain, um, I guess, look. And um, I know some that have stepped away, some that have stepped into the gravel scene, are just like, ah, oh, this is nice. It's it's way more relaxing this way. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it didn't exist when I was around. That's for sure. Yeah. The gravel. Right. I mean, I'm sure you're learning about that, about, you know, just some of this mindful stuff you've been going through, like social, too much social media is just dangerous, dangerous. Yeah, I I think it's a funny world we're in because on the one hand, I think it's great that we get to glimpse behind at some of these pro teams and we see the personalities because I think I'm not sure if it was on our podcast that we were talking about, but I think since we started making helmets mandatory, while they're great for safety, it's just taking all the characters out of the sport. Remember, like Pantani, like he wore a bandana. Like, can you you could paint a pantomime villain? He's a bandana. He's a pirate. His nickname's El Pirato. Like, he's easy to hate. And as a fan, you can pitch good against evil. But now it's just faceless robots in Oakleys and Giro helmets, and it's like, ah, I don't know who to like and who to dislike here. And so social media is our only glimpse into them. Yeah. Oh man, you know it's but it's such a unique tool. It's pretty. It's interesting. You can learn a lot about people's lives, and um, you know it's just I think it's finding the right balance for it, right? Uh, did you guys see the the schedules being released for the end of the season? They've released the dates for the Tour de Vuelta, the Giro, the Classics. Yeah, they're what? So they're August, September, October now, right? And I think November. I think the Vuelta. November. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, when's the off season? Well, this is what I was thinking. Tour Down Under starts in January. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Like, uh, how do you, uh, you prepare for that, Tyler? What's that? How would you prepare for that? Like, what would you be doing now in, what are we, 23rd of April? Yeah, you know, not uh, trying not to get too fit yet, quite yet. But, you know, out there riding, doing some uh, base miles, you know, some stuff to stay relatively fit, but not really um, put massive pressure on yourself right now, for sure. I mean, they have a lot, long season ahead if they're uh, going to be expected to ride through the end of November, race through the end of November. So I would say you guys would know better than me, but I would guess that a lot of those teams are going to have a, they're going to completely shuffle the deck for each of the three grand tours. I mean, I, it, you guys who would typically ride the Giro and the Tour in the same season, I it's I can't imagine that happening now. Yeah, I, it just it seems like there's going to be a lot more called on from every rider because there's even overlap. You know, I think some of the classics are on like Jorn de Vuelta. Oh really? Yeah, I think Liège is on like Jorn de Vuelta, and it's like, how is that going to work? Anthony, let's talk about your schedule. So you're training with a friend of yours for the uh, Paralympics in Tokyo, right? 2021? Yeah, 2021. It's the first time I've heard anyone saying that. It sounds kind of weird. Yeah, it's neat. It's neat. Yeah, so I kind of came in. So a buddy of mine was the... So the relationship on on the tandem, I didn't even know what it was called before I came in, but it's pilot is the person on the front. And that'd be me. And then on the back, you call it the stoker. I don't know what stoker means. Uh, but a buddy of mine was the previous pilot on it, a teammate. And he's laid a strong foundation for qualification for Tokyo. 
and it was just kind of me coming in to finish off the job. Uh, and we had a solid ride for I think I was ninth in the worlds in Canada in January um, in the four kilometer pursuit. And we had the world road race in Belgium scheduled for June. And that's been cancelled now, obviously. Uh, but that's our last qualification event. So we're still haven't secured qualification. We've secured three Irish bikes. Uh, I'm not sure if it was working the same way back in the day, Tyler, for your Olympic qualification. But it's like you secure, the Federation secures bikes. And then it's up to them to decide who they send in those places. Okay. Okay. So what events, if you if you qualify, what events are you hoping to do? Road race will be the main target, but we'll go road race, uh, which is on that speedway over in Tokyo, which would be pretty cool. Uh, time trial, four kilometer pursuit on the track, and but you know yourself, obviously, like you, uh, you can't prepare completely for the four k pursuit because then you're screwed for the road race. You're mainly just preparing for the road race and then you know seeing what you can do in the pursuit. Since I'm there, I'll probably just do the kilo for the crack anyway. Uh, but like honestly, them dudes are a different breed. They're not like cyclists. They're they're doing like two thousand two hundred watts out of the gate. Like the, the big the big German dude, uh, Fosterman. Remember him with the big toys, biggest toys in the world. You Google a picture of him. He's got incredible size toys. Uh, he's moved over from Elise now. Like you sprinting against Chris Hoy and stuff two years ago, but he's moved into tandem now as well. So. Oh, wow. You get a lot of kind of ex-Conti or pro-Conti riders stepping down and racing uh, para stuff on the tandem because you can get, the, you know, it's a loophole, which is nice this year because it kind of keeps itself funds my cycling. But, you know, for me to get carded, which we call the government funding as an elite athlete, super super difficult like you need to be placing in the classics you need to be placing in you know grand tour stages like the participation numbers are much lower in para so the the criteria for getting the government funding is much lower so i've achieved what are we on international level carding this year so i think we get like twenty thousand to fund the bike or something for the year which is pretty cool how long is a tandem road race in the olympics I think it's like 120k or something like that. Yeah, wow. it's it's and pretty crazy. Your teammate, your Stoker. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. You should guys get him on the podcast. Uh, his story is fascinating, man. So we have a sport here in Ireland. It's called hurling, and it's technically an amateur sport. Uh, but like, we get ninety thousand people watching the matches. Like, it's fanatical. Like, it's our number one sport. So these guys are superstars. And if you can think about, I'm not sure if you guys are whatever, a hockey fan or, but he's in the county or the, you know, the state that's the best at hurling in the country. These guys are like, they're the Toronto Maple Leafs or whatever. Uh, okay. And uh, you're out West Canada. That one wouldn't have sat well with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've been, you spend enough time in Canada to know. Uh, so he's on the team and he's fast tracked for being like as he he's a brilliant public speaker now but as he says he's like when you're 17 and you're playing on this team he's like you're getting sex every night of the week (laughs) he's like with a different girl (laughs) he's like it's just you're a superstar you know you're going in the back door and nightclubs not the front door and so he's a kid who has like 
pretty much the sporting world at his feet and he starts making a few mistakes in training and he says to his parents can you bring me to get contacts and he goes and gets a test for contacts and he's diagnosed with some obscure eye disorder Lieber's I can't pronounce it it's some crazy long uh, term Lieber's something uh, and it's a degenerative eye condition and I think within a few months he'd lost like 80% of his vision so he's legally blind now and he went through a real difficult time then with uh, addiction and just trying to cope with it because the, the way he kind of told it to me, you know, you think about all the things you do as an 18 year old, you know, that gives you your identity. You know, you, you have your car, you have your job, he's working on, you know, a building site, you have your sport, you have these three or four different areas to give your identity and then your social life. And then all of a sudden you can't drive you can't work, you can't play sport, but your arm still works fine, so you can still drink. You can still go to the pub with the guys. Um, for right or wrong, we do have a big drinking culture here in Ireland. And he dove into that, and he went to the pub uh, you know, every day, and he went to the pub to the point it became a problem for him. And it was a spiral that was very difficult for him to get out of. I need to go through treatment centers to get out of there and came out the far side. And he, he's been a cautionary tale. And I know they roll him out now in sort of a lot of blind advocacy groups and things like this. And he's back. He qualified for the last Olympics in Rio. And he's elected uh, official here in Ireland now as well, which is pretty wild. Uh, he got elected in the last election. Uh, so he's really turned himself from, you know, down and out degenerate into, you know, a bit of a role model here. So it's a cool, I, I butchered the story. You'd, you you guys get on great with him. Awesome. Oh, remind me his name. It's Peter Ryan. Peter Ryan. Awesome. Yeah. Well, shout out to Pete. Yeah, that's great. Great. Yeah, we'll it. It, it's funny, like how, you know, cause I've got to hang out with him a lot. Uh, like a few years ago, the two of us went off to Bali, uh, I'd recently broken up with a girlfriend and so had he, and we went off to Bali surfing. And I just learned so much about mindset on that trip with him where, you know, he'd be in a shop and he'd spill a coffee. He'd go, he'd go to the counter and, you know, fiercely independent. So he'd be like, oh, you want a coffee? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And he'd get the coffee from the machine and he'd go up to the counter to pay and he'd spill the two coffees like all over the counter. And, you know, I'd feel uncomfortable i'd be like the fuck like what do i do here do i help do i pretend i didn't see this and and i chat to him later that night i was like oh that was pretty you know pretty bad with the coffee earlier on he's like yeah you know have you ever spilled coffee and i was like yeah of course i've spilled coffee and he's like well why did you spill coffee last time you spilled the coffee and i was like well because i wasn't paying attention and he's like yeah you get to attribute that meaning to your action so the action you spilled the coffee you've attributed that inattentiveness to why you spilled the coffee he's like i still get to make that exact same decision i choose to think that i spilled the coffee because i wasn't paying attention not because i'm visually impaired and it just opened my eyes going whoa it's a powerful lesson for all of us there wow that's a great story we should have him on the podcast he sounds awesome he's a he's a cool public speaker he's carving out like a little bit of a niche for himself in ireland now doing kind of public speaking and you know because you think you have problems and you can't have a problem with him like i can't be like oh you know i'm on a bad day my legs don't feel good he's like yeah i can't i can't see anything <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. it just puts everything into context and i had a perception also of like if you're completely honest you guys probably have this perception as well if you think about a blind guy 
you think of someone who's pretty frail and you think of someone who's, you know, not really able to look after themselves. And like this dude, he's like, what, he's he's 5'10", he's like 6% body fat, he's he's lean, he's muscular, he's, you know, he can run, he can cycle, he can lift. It's like, it's not the dude you expect to be visually impaired. And that as well just, it goes a long way to breaking down stereotypes. Yeah, very cool. Very hey, cool. Yeah, really cool. Anthony, put a good word in for us. We want to have him on there. Podcast. Yeah, totally. Uh, he, totally. Uh, he's actually, I was chatting to him today. I'm trying to get him to do a podcast as well. So uh, obviously he has, does have some uh, hurdles that are more difficult to get over for him than others. But, uh, you know, like I said to him, like if you want to do it, you'll figure out the solution. If you don't want to do it, you'll figure out the excuse like that applies to pretty much everything yeah right yeah it does so anthony how do people find out more about you um through your website right a1 yeah a1coaching.net uh, is our website uh, you can check their instagram is a1 coaching as well i think we're pretty much a1 coaching everywhere Inst- uh, i think a1 underscore coaching on twitter uh facebook's a1 coaching as well so yeah but- is that the name of the youtube channel as well Actually, no, the YouTube channel's in my name. Uh, it's okay. Anthony Walsh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, YouTube channel was A1 Coaching. And then I was just like, you know, because there's a bunch of coaches in A1. And I was kind of worried when I started doing the YouTube every day. I was like, you know what? The YouTube is more about my journey and my self-reflection. And it doesn't, it's like, it, if you look, you know, say I had the interview with Tyler last day on the podcast and... I put that up on our Instagram because I feel like that's, you know, it's a general cycling interest, but sometimes the YouTube channel is just me going, you know, skateboarding or grocery shopping with my girlfriend. And it's like, yeah, I'm not sure if all the coaches think that's like a representative of them. It's a different brand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's for fun. I like doing it. It's like, it's like the podcast is, it's really just fun. It's like you guys, like, I'm not sure how serious you take the podcast, but for me, I love getting to chat cycling with guys across the world. And that's what the podcast is for me. If you try to analyze it on like, what's the return on investment on your time? It's like, that's not the, it's not the microscope I'm looking at this under. It's, it, it's connecting with people and it's, you know, it's spreading that butterfly effect for something I love. And we have a mutual love for cycling. I think it's, it's powerful. And if you get the bike into somebody's life at the right stage in their life, it, it can change their life. It can change the whole direction as corny as that sounds. It absolutely can. And we, you know, one of my first concerns when we started, we wanted to start and we, we left and did it. And at first I thought it was going to be so hard to keep up been finding people to talk to and now i think the complete opposite will i wish we had more time because we're never going to run out of cool people to talk to about about cycling and the outdoors and mental health and that all of these awesome journeys that people have to talk about it's it's awesome you know and it, it's such a like we can get lost in internet land on these metrics and i remember starting out the podcast and i'd look at like you know i think i'm up at episode 60 or something of a podcast now we're close to that but when i get started in the first five and i'd be like oh there's like 50 people listen to that podcast i'm like is that even worth doing it but i'm like it's still 50 people it's a small number on the screen but if you 50 people over to your house for dinner that's a pretty insane party you're after sean it's a lot of people and it's a lot of impact and just changing one person's, you know, habit structure per episode, 
like that's that's some pretty powerful stuff like for sure as soon as as soon as we looked at our listenership and it was obviously more than just our our uh family and friends listening once it was over that number then i was encouraged that it was worth it i'm still pretty sure my first like two or three episodes were just my parents and my sister (laughs) yeah that's okay though i'd love to see a youtube video of you jumping in the irish sea yeah it's gonna happen i'm gonna get it done for you and yeah we need to get a we need to get a gravel adventure touring uh hooked up guys we'll make some youtube content about that that would be amazing amazing anthony i feel like i could have i could have kept talking to you for hours so we would love to have you back on man it's an absolute uh, treat to get to know you a little bit and uh love what you're doing and i'm going to keep following along closely definitely guys it's been a pleasure and it's been a, it's been a real honor to chat Another huge thank you to Anthony Walsh for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. What a great conversation and an interesting guy. Uh, Look forward to catching up with Anthony soon uh, and following along with all of the awesome stuff that he's doing. And we hope that he's out of his lockdown really, really soon there in Ireland, which must be uh, extremely tough, even more tough than uh, what we're dealing with here in North America. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you're all taking care of yourselves and each other. And we will be back soon. Thank you.